The button has been pushed. Commencing podcast now. Wear a mask. Welcome to Pop Tech Jam, the independent audio magazine about consumer technology, pop culture, and marching again through another week in the queue line for another month now. I guess that's what it's been, eight months. I'm J.D. Beersdorfer. And I'm Pedro Rafael Rosado. And here we are in New York City, kind of creeping back up with the COVID again. Yeah, it's just a slight uptick, you know, but not unexpected. Not unexpected at all. Yeah, get your flu shot out there. and. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely did that. Yeah, and I'm kind of just sort of going to go back into hibernation, much like the spring where, you know, out once or twice a week to pick up groceries and, and laundry things. And then, I, you, you know, know, I think I will probably be doing the same. Not that I've been going out much anyway. My waistline will attest to that. But the bottom line is that now that the weather is getting a little cooler, yeah, I think hibernation makes a lot of sense. I definitely have to find some way to work out in here in the house. I mean, I've been threatening to buy that body board, the, the body boss. The resistance bands, yeah. Yes, the resistance band and a bike just to, to have something. But I got to clear out some space in my in my expansive New York City apartment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's the thing with, unless you have access to a track or you just like to walk on cement for miles and miles the the whole oh yeah let, let's just uh, put it put a uh, elliptical here it's like nobody has room for that yeah, in New York. And plus room. if you do your neighbors downstairs are going to complain because they, oh, yes, they, will. they will definitely they will definitely complain yeah well, I, I do resistance bands which helps especially if you've been in a, a chair all day and, mm-hmm. and need to unlock the back you know i find it useful for that but but yeah the, the weather is getting colder and we, we talked on the last show about uh, star trek discovery which is back mandalorian's back at the end of the month and they just announced i believe a few days ago that season two of his dark materials on hbo max is coming back november the 16th nice. so, so we're getting nice. into that uh it's sort of like how fall brings the comfort food and the comfort clothes with the sweaters and whatnot. This is like the comfort TV. Yes, comfort TV. I will say one thing. I wasn't going to do a big rant on TV this week, but I will say one thing. Lower Decks is garbage. I'm just, oh, really? Just you, say, lower Decks just, just went say. too low for you? Yeah, it's just really bad. It's just really bad. You know, folks, if you you won't miss anything if you skip it. Just, let's just put it that way. I may have ranted about this before, but yeah, really skip it. Just pass it. Discovery. Discovery. Well, you know, there, there, I see all these things in the Star Trek universe popping up that like Captain Janeway is going to come back and do a thing and Captain Sisko's coming back and then they've got the the uh, Captain Pike and young Spock Star Trek. Come on. That's gonna that was around. great. That was good. I really like that. I really like that. So they're getting their own show. Number one will be there. Yeah. If the animated Star Trek offerings are not to your liking and just wait five minutes and there'll be five other spinoffs. I did uh, not know this about Janeway and Cisco, though. Well, it's sort of some rumors, and I think they always pop out around New York Comic Con, which would have been last weekend had it been a real thing at the Javits Center and, and, you know, the 150,000 geeks in costume showing up there. Like San Diego, it turned into a virtual event with some videotape panels and things, and I, I've been going to Comic-Con for the past eight years just to moderate panels, and I completely, it was just completely out off my radar because you didn't have the buildup and all of the, the back and forth with the people from the show about your panel and all that, and I'm on the mailing list, but I guess it just got buried, and without that really sort of pressing need to be over there at the Jobbits and, and be marinated and all of that, it, it just, oh yeah, I guess it was Comic-Con, so I gotta go back and watch some of the stuff. 
but yeah, they're they're they were talking that oh, you know, maybe Avery Brooks is going to do something, maybe Kate Mulgrew is going back and do something, and and I don't know how firm any of this is, and and I said there is so much news that if I open my Twitter feed, it's just like a fire hose of stuff. And so picking out the entertainment from the the world has fallen apart stuff to 100% goats and uh, my new favorite animal feed, which is called uh, unsolicited dick dicks, which is those little uh, uh, African deer. Oh, nice. I got to yeah. check that out. Yeah. So if, if you, if you like me, hook me up with a link, cause yes, I got to unsolicited dick dicks. Um, cause yes. that's what they're called. Dick dicks or, yes. or deer. Like, we're not working blue. Yeah. No, it's, it's this delightful little, little prancing tiny deer. Who doesn't like prancing deer? I know. It's, it's going to be prancing deer season anyway. Yeah. Just you know, sort of expand your horizon behind the, you know, the traditional Norwegian reindeer. Speaking of rumors though. The Mandalorian, you mentioned it, uh, I think, on the last show about Pedro Pascal maybe not being too thrilled. Yeah, there were some uh, hurt fifis on the set there. Yeah, now apparently uh, the big rumor is that he actually left the show. That no, really? That he's gone. He's done. Uh-huh. So I don't know about uh, the future of Mandalorian, if that is true. He was still promoting it on his Twitter feed, but who knows? But Well, if he's left, I mean, the fact that you only saw his face once and it was kind of beat up when he did and D- Disney knowing that they've, they've got a real moneymaker on their hands here. And I don't, maybe he getting upstaged by the child or, or a baby Yoda as he's more popularly known that uh, they were starting to hint at, at really tying in that show to a lot of the existing star Wars characters and plot lines. So uh, I, I don't know what the, the crux of the argument was, but if he did leave, since he's got to wear his helmet all the time, is anyone ever going to know? And and you know, he does have that really nice baritone voice. But mm-hmm. Well, what they could do is what they do with uh, the Doom Patrol, which is they have body doubles. But I think the issue is he wants to show his face. So yeah. I well, I know. think a lot of the times when you see the Mandalorian running around and doing stuff, that was a stunt guy anyway. So oh, I don't know how, how much he was actually in the suit, too. Since a lot of his work was, you know, fighting mud horns and, and you know, shooting things. So, well, I hope it's not true because that show is great. Well, we'll get our little taste of it in uh, the end of the month here, which is yes, we rapidly will. approaching. Yes, we will. So, JD, did we have any news? Oh, we had little bits and bobs of news. Bits uh, and bobs. W- would you like to hear some? I, I myself uh, was just recently reading that the U.S. Department of Justice unsealed charges against six Russian nationals. Uh, I would to like be, to hear uh, that story. Yes, part of a, a elite and secretive hacking group. Uh, I guess this hacking group. I know we had Fancy Bear, Fuzzy Bear. Those ones. Uh, this one's called Sand. Worm. Um, Sandworm. I bet you they had satin jackets. I yeah, bet you satin they had jackets, satin jackets. You know, with a big old worm on the back. Yes. But uh, the, the officials uh, seem to think that uh, these six uh, individuals were officers in the Russian main intelligence directorate, oh. the, you know, sort of the, the weaponized uh, state hacking division. So, and then uh, the U.S. government uh, thinks that, uh, you know, these six were part of a larger group, as, as they tend to be. But um, there's a whole bunch of allegations of cyber attacks, both on Ukrainian government and its infrastructure. Remember when uh, Ukraine's power grid had yeah, that problem? Yeah, I do. So they're thinking, well, maybe they have something to do with that. Uh, the French elections, there was a spear phishing campaign in 2017 when the French were going to the polls. And I believe we had talked about at some point uh, the not Petya attack, uh, which was destructive malware, uh, infecting computers and medical facilities. So, so all kinds of things. The Olympics got hacked. They're trying to pit it on this team, too. 
and some of the poisoning investigations on that Novichok. Not the, the most recent one with that guy who somehow miraculously survived, but uh, Sergei Skripal, the, uh, the UK poisonings. So, so all kinds of charges there. But as we know, uh, the, the disinformation is everywhere from these types of folks and other types of folks and, and people who just want to miss and diss the information. <laughs> I like that. But the Citizen Browser Project might be helping to shine a light on how truly fake news and bad facts get around social media platforms. Ooh, now, this is a tell. new thing. This is an initiative that's a project of the Markup, which is a nonprofit newsroom that investigates how the world's most powerful institutions use technology to reshape society. Noble goal there. And the Markup has just announced that they have developed a um, citizen browser project, and it's designed to measure uh, how this disinformation travels by using a special browser so they, they develop this browser and I guess they're going to get people to use it and then see how, how the information gets around. It's going to answer the question, what content are the platforms choosing to amplify and to whom are they amplifying it? So we're, we're looking at the distribution and algorithms here. And they're going to uh, track this with the custom browser. And as I guess a, a press release on the markup said, they're going to audit the algorithms the social media platforms use to determine what information they serve their users, what news and narratives are amplified or suppressed, and what online communities those users are encouraged to join. So this is a big kind of drone-level project here, uh, which they want to start first gathering, I guess, data from Facebook and YouTube. And once they get a bunch of data to look at and can start analyzing some, some trends and whatnot, the markup is going to be working with a little newspaper called The New York Times to analyze this data and uh, report on the project's findings. And uh, as we know, uh, social media continues to wrestle with policing disinformation. In this current U.S. election cycle, uh, Twitter just came under fire uh, recently for shifting positions about allowing links to a story concerning Joe Biden's family. Allegations that the story is part of a Russian disinformation campaign led Twitter to block links to it at first, and then they went back and forth, and then Twitter ended up reserving itself and everyone's yelling at Twitter. And so it just sort of illuminates how how messy all of this stuff is and the ability to enforce these rules. Facebook, which I have another item about them uh, a little farther down, but uh, Facebook has also uh, been popping up with some headlines. Nick Clegg, who I believe used to be the leader of the Lib Dems in the British Parliament, is now a Facebook uh, vice president. And uh, he said the social network has rejected 2.2 million ads for breaking political campaign rules. And they've also, uh, you know, a little false information tag that they're starting to put on some of the, the more obvious memes. I've heard of them. Yes. Oh, yes. Since you are not on the platform. Uh, well, they're slapping these little labels on things that are just completely constructed. And uh, I guess they've done that to about 150 million posts. But the work is never done. And uh, I'll more on Facebook in a moment. The interesting thing about this story is that that original post story, even the reporters backed off on this. Yeah, nobody wanted their name on it, right? Nobody wanted their name on it. So. Yes, this is a story by the New York Post, which, for those who are unfamiliar with it, is a right-leaning newspaper owned by the Rupert Murdoch family. So, um, so that is where that story originated from and immediately got a lot of scrutiny from other news organizations who were uh, questioning dubious. some of the dubious. reporting and evidence uh, <laughs> presented within the story. Just a little dubious. That's Just all. a little. Yeah, yeah. So um, so lots of that. But, but before we, we go into more of the heavier stuff, Apple has been kind of busy lately, uh, iPhones and whatnot. But um the most recent thing that they announced is something that I don't know if you would have interested in this. Now, if you're old enough to miss your MTV and remember back when the channel actually showed nothing but music videos, 
Uh, perhaps AMTV will fill that void. Apple has just launched Apple Music TV, which is a 24-hour music video service, which it describes as a free 24-hour curated live stream of popular music videos that also include exclusive new music videos and premieres, special curated music and video blocks, and live shows and events, as well as chart countdowns and guests. I believe they are doing something with Mr. Bruce Springsteen on the release of his new album. The kids love Springsteen. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> yes, you know, he, he's a, uh, his TikTok videos especially. But the um, they're going to take it back to, to straight-up music videos, I guess, before MTV got all reality show. And, and I mean, I watched a little bit of the 80s, but I did not like 80s music, and so I wasn't really glued to it all the time. Um, yeah, n- neither was I. Our, my family did not have cable back in the 80s. So uh, I didn't start watching till the grunge era. It was a very particular era. Uh, for, you know, it was all the, the synth and the new wave. And we didn't have cable either. I believe Friday Night Videos helped yeah, fill that, the void filled, on the broadcast. Yeah, the uh, void. Yeah, it sure did. Networks. So, so, app, so Apple is, is bringing this uh, back around. So if this sort of thing appeals to you and you want to know where to find it, I believe it's available to U.S. residents only. And that's on the Apple Music app and the Apple TV app. And there may be a way you can get to it from a browser, but they are putting this out there uh, to, to pump up Apple streaming services. And, and so, so they did that. And, and then they did some, some products that they talked about. Would you like to hear about the products? Yes, I would. The fruit-themed toy maker of Cupertino did come back around for its second event of the fall season. And uh, this was the one everyone knew it was going to be 5G iPhones. The invitation they sent out was like, hi, comma speed, which basically just tips your playing cards uh, right into view there. And they knew they, they, this is the window for releasing these phones to get them out for the holiday season. And just because people have been waiting since last fall to, to upgrade their phones or maybe even three or four falls ago where they, they re- were really holding out to see how good the camera was going to be, how fast the, the networking was going to be, the capacity. So, so they did uh, announce that, and, and this was another, because of the pandemic, this was another of Apple's sort of canned video presentations, and they really keep these things tight when it's not live demos, when you don't have to worry about the equipment failing, when you don't have an audience uh, sort of making a noise. It is a very glossy, produced uh, series of clips where they, they roll out these products, and, and you can see things roll just cut to the video. But they, uh, they, they kept it fairly tight, and so basically the, the crux of the announcements were a $99 HomePod Mini, which uh, we all know they're, they're sort of big speaker that was the challenger to Alexa and uh, the Google Assistant was out there. And this is their Siri-powered device, which I don't know how popular it was, but they've done a smaller version and it, it's spherical. So I was like, oh, HomePod Ball, because everyone's making, because a lot of the uh, Alexa devices, you know, the Echoes are, are spherical shape now too. But yes. So yes. it's $99 and it's got this little glowing top and... So they're really going for the the affordable, and they mentioned at the top of the show, I think even Tim said, oh, you know, because we're spending more time at home lately, we, you know, we really want to make our homes nice. And so they've done this more affordable uh, home. I think the other one was like 300 bucks or something or even more. This one's $99, arriving November the 16th, and you can pre-order it uh, 10 days uh, before that. So they're uh, really into like this computational audio and... I guess they did a lot with the sound design of the speaker, which you would know more about than I would, about how to, how to get big booming sound out of this this tiny little, I think it's like three inches in diameter, maybe a little bit more, um, but it's got a touch panel on the top, but they really want it to have big booming sound and it interacts with your iPhone if you're nearby where you can shoot a playlist to it. So, 
So that, that was their first announcement that they did. And I think people kind of knew they were going to do some kind of audio thing. I was like, oh, well, the $99, if I was in an impulse buy mood, maybe. And they also keep touting that, oh, our, our device, you can give it orders, but we're not going to sell your history to a third-party bidder like they yeah. that other assistant speakers might possibly be doing. So so I don't know how, how much to believe. Uh, we have some things on privacy later in the news. So that was the first big thing that they rolled out. And they also talked about how they're going to be carbon neutral in 2030 and how Apple is really re- reducing the packaging on our devices to, to, so we can fit more on a pallet and we save all of these resources. And so you're like, oh, okay, they're, they're getting Echo. And then you find out when they get to the iPhone announcement how they're doing that. They announced four new iPhone models. I think we, we had sort of had enough leaks to know that four was going to be the number here. The iPhone 12, the iPhone 12 mini, the iPhone 12 Pro, and the iPhone 12 Pro Max, all with the 5G wireless there. So if you have 5G network in your area, you could get this uh, super fast cellular 5G is not rolled out universally yet, though, so it could be hit or miss depending on where you live. But they have also uh, redesigned the iPhone. They've taken away the sort of curviness of the previous versions. It's uh, kind of like a glass and metal ice cream sandwich that's really, really skinny. Like the iPhone 4? Yeah, yeah. They've they've gone with the, the sort of harder steel band around the edge. The 12 and the 12 mini are aluminum, and then the pro line is stainless steel. So, so they sort of you get fancier materials if you spend more money. It's 6.1 inch display on your basic iPhone 12 there, which is the same size as last year's model, the iPhone 11. But they made the body 15% smaller, and it's about 11% thinner just by scrunching all of these components down. OLED displays. The iPhone 12 mini is a 5.4 inches, so so a dainty little thing there. The 12 Pro is a 6.1 inches, and then the 12 Pro Max is 6.7, but because they are really basically going coast to coast here, you get a lot of screen, and, and like bezels are, are practically an afterthought anymore. And they, they were talking about how this is a really tough smartphone and it's got this ceramic shield and they've, they've been sort of touting the water resistance of it to, for the past few models. And I think in the demo video, they even somebody dumping a, a cup of coffee on it and the woman just shakes it off and, and continues on. So, so they've got the four uh, and then there was a whole lot about how 5G and how this is really, we implement 5G very well, but a lot of times you're like 5G, whatever, just tell me the prices. So if, if you were wanting to, to buy, like even the mini, the 5.4-inch one, it's got the uh, A14 Bionic chip in it. Uh, the storage capacities uh, start at 64 and go up to 256. And it's got three cameras, the, the main, the wide angle, and uh, the, the front camera. $699. Wow, that's kind of pricey. Still. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking, well, $700. Mini, is it, yeah, is it going to be like sort of more in the $300 range? But no, this one's because it's got all of the, the 5G and the, the super fast stuff. Uh, this one is uh, $699. I guess it was ESE that was a bit more affordable. If you want the uh, iPhone 12, the 6.1 inch, that's $799. And then if you're like, no, no, I must only have the best for me. And especially because the camera gear on the, the two higher end models is, is pretty impressive. I mean, they're still at 12 megapixels for the main and the wide angle lens. But they've got a four times telephoto and they've got the uh, LIDAR, LIDAR. So it's got that stuff where it can sort of do spatial mapping. But the entry price for the iPhone 12 Pro, uh, which starts at 128 gigs, is 999 Wow. So you got 1000 there. And then if you uh, must absolutely have to have the Max, that starts at 1099 You can get up to 512 gigabytes of space there because a lot of these 
if you're taking these super high resolution photos and videos, you are going to need all the storage space you can to store Heck these yeah. files on your phone. So you, yeah. you don't really want to skimp out there with like a 128 because that will be full in no time. But if I max it out, it's got to be like something like $1,500. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think it's uh, 14 or 1500 if you get all of the high end bells and whistles on it. That's crazy. That's so crazy. It's, yeah, it's, you know, the, the fast chip there. And so getting back to their Echo stuff, you know, oh, the package is smaller and we're using less. And you realize, oh, the reason they can do that is because when you scroll down, if you've read all the specs and you, you kind of drill in a little bit because you're on this camera, you see what's in the box. And it's the phone and a lightning cable or USB-C to lightning cable. No charging cube, no headphones anymore. I think you maybe get like, you know how they always give you like that little wafer of a pamphlet with, you know, how to turn mm-hmm. it on and, and then you have to go to the web to get the rest. And I think you get documentation as listed, but but there's none of the stuff that you used to get with a phone that, that you would buy back in the day. Part of this may be the thing and people are just upgrading and they've already got their charging tubes and they can just plug in and use their old ones or they've already bought AirPods and they're just going to pair them with this. But but still, the, the lack of the headphones of that, that just feels cheap to me. No, come on. I mean, this is craziness. This is just, this is deeply, deeply disgusting to me because you're talking about paying $1,000, let's say, for a phone. $700 for a basic phone and you don't even get a charger for this thing? Yeah, you, you get a, a cable, which I guess, you know, it can plug into the computer or an existing charging cube. Right. And they're, they're couching this as a world-saving thing, a, you know, a climate thing. Yeah, well, you know, an uh, echo, you know, trying to get carbon. And, and that is a noble goal. It is. And, There's no question. There's no question sort of it's a hiding noble goal. behind that a little bit. And also the, the 5G chips in there, that stuff's not cheap. So I think they had to offset some of the costs as well. No, that that's definitely understandable. But the idea that they're just hiding behind this, you know, carbon-neutral thing and taking away stuff that you know you're going to have to buy separately, that's nonsense. That's just really deeply disgusting to me. It's disingenuous. It's the new culture at Apple now that we're going to nickel and dime you for every little bit for our devices. And it's, you know, now is not the time to be doing this considering there are millions of people out of work who can't afford to buy a new phone. And if they need a new phone, Going to buy an Android model. Right, exactly. This is deeply disturbing to me. It is really, really callous in a lot of ways because it's clearly a financial grab. It's clearly Apple trying to cover themselves in this, you know, carbon neutral, we're trying to save the planet vibe when in actuality, they're just trying to maximize their profits. It's really deeply disgusting to me. Apple should do better. This is nonsense. Yeah, this is like their, their corded headphones were, I don't think, that expensive to begin with. I mean, no, of course not. This is, but, this uh, is but they, they were so into them because they actually put out a paragraph. I think they, they knew people were going to be disgruntled uh, with the lack of accessories. And so they, they pasted a whole echo paragraph into their announcement, I guess, as CYA. And then to, uh, say, yeah, this, I re- this is I re- why. Yeah, I read that thing too. And it doesn't make a bit of a difference because the fact of the matter is, as you and I know, What's going to happen is there are going to be dozens, maybe hundreds of companies that are going to try to fill the void, producing chargers and and all sorts of crazy stuff 
which is going to do more damage to the environment. I mean, yeah, this is well, and the accessory makers are going to be run out too because one of the, the features that the new phones had is the MagSafe thing where stuff just sticks to it. Like you can get a little mm-hmm. pocket or you can little charge it. Yep. So they, they've got some accessories already in the works there for the, for the MagSafe angle. This which, is nonsense. I'm sorry. Yeah, this well, is, I mean, Apple, I think you may have jumped shark for me. Yes. All right. So, so not even the a Pacific blue case is going to lure you. No, this is. I mean, really, this is deeply. I mean, considering what's going on in the world now, really, Apple. Yeah, I mean, they should just seriously. do it like the pandemic phone and just make it be. They should you know, have skipped very basic. A year. Give you the stuff and yeah. You know. They should have skipped a year. They should have just said, you know what? Now is not the time to try to gouge people out of a thousand dollars up to fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred dollars. And then on top of that, try to dance around the fact that we're taking stuff away? Nah, man. Yeah. Apple, you just, ooh, this is yes. bad. All right. They're on Elk Heiser's. Oh, yeah. They're on my list. They're my bad list right now. Yeah. So, Seriously. Well, well, should we move on with the other news? Because there's some other people who are usually on your bad list, too, that we can yeah. keep oh, up okay. with their yeah, wacky so, exploits. Um, yeah. Get, get, rile me up now, JD. No, no. Just, rile you know, up. I'm not riling you. I'm just reaffirming your suspicions. So. There you go. There you go. So, uh, well, well, let's talk about Facebook, you know, if we're going to be in <laughs> rile mode. You know, well, they, because they did, they did boot QAnon uh, from its platform. They did. Now they just announced that they are updating its hate speech policy to prohibit any content that denies or distorts the Holocaust. Now, this is the Holocaust of World War II. Apparently, the Armenian genocide and other Doesn't genocides count, yeah. are not in that, but the Holocaust denial was really getting out of hand. Yeah, well, you can deny started. the other stuff, just not the Holocaust. Yeah, well, right? at least for oh, now, and, until they, they come back around. But uh, but in a post on its company blog, The Social Network announced, we have banned more than 250 white supremacist organizations and updated our policies to address militia groups and QAnon. We also routinely ban other individuals and organizations globally, and we took down 22.5 million pieces of hate speech from our platform in the second quarter of the year. So following a year of consultation with external experts, I think we reported on that panel they were doing, we recently banned anti-Semitic stereotypes about the collective power of Jews that often depicts them as running the world and its major institutions. I don't know what took them so long for that. Today's announcement yeah, exactly. uh, marks another step in our effort to fight hate on our services. Our decision is supported by the well-documented rise in anti-Semitism globally and the alarming level of ignorance about the Holocaust, especially among young people. Because I guess there was that survey where uh, only like 22% of them knew what the Holocaust was or did not realize that 6 million Jews were slaughtered in Europe in the 30s and 40s. And it, A, that says something about the state of American education, uh, too, that the, they're not covering this. We're not doing civics anymore, too, which this country desperately needs people to mandate civics education. Since we were just talking about products, Google announced a redesigned version of its Nest Smart uh, thermostat. I know you uh, hate the home uh, smart home stuff with a passion, but uh, this is a $129 model. I think they've had Nest for, what, 10 years? Yeah, I think so. The new one includes a quick schedule feature that lets you uh, set custom temperatures for different times on different days. You can also uh, have it suggest temperature presets that balance, I guess, your your comfort level with the energy saving. It's kind of like the echo mode on the car, like, oh, I can go a little bit slower, but I will uh, conserve gas. So, uh, and then you're adjusting all these settings from the Google Home app on the phone, uh, as always. Um, the Nest thermostat also has a savings finder that sort of looks at your heating and cooling situation and then suggests tweaks that you can save money if you maybe do this here. And then 
But it's all linked to the app on your phone, and the Nest knows when you are in your phone or not at home. And so if you want to, you can have it automatically adjust the temperature for an empty house if it senses you were not in the house uh, based on the presence of your phone. little creepy, but I know you are not a smart home guy, oh, so please, you would no. never purchase this anyway. Not even close. Not even close. But for those people who like it, you know, if you can live with the creep, that's fine. But it is a, a privacy issue, and uh, privacy advocates have had a few things to say about Amazon's uh, Ring Always Home Cam, uh, the flying indoor drone we uh, discussed uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. on a previous show. The Uber Mega Everything Store is also testing out another thing that we didn't talk about, which is the Amazon One Palm Recognition Scanner. I guess this is in a couple of its Seattle grocery stores, and it's designed for fast entry and checkout by customers where you just put your palm down and it's matched your your palm to your buyer profile and, and your billing information. Again, creepy. Privacy advocates are concerned about that too. Um, they warned that the Ring Always Home Cam and the Amazon One quote, normalize aggressive new forms of data collection. Now, in a uh, recent article from Wired Magazine, still doing great tech journalism. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, several experts expressed concern over just how much data uh, Amazon could theoretically hoover up if you used all of these devices and services, even your what you buy on Amazon Prime and your Amazon devices and your Alexa and all of that. You know, they're, they're just building this huge dossier on everything that you do. And Wired said Amazon has a major genomics cloud platform, so maybe they hold your DNA and you now they're going to have your uh, palm print as well. Plus all these devices inside your house and your purchase history on Prime, that's a lot of information. That's a lot of personal information. Uh, this is from uh, Nina Ali, the executive director of DEF CON's Biohacking Village, uh, and is also a healthcare security researcher. And uh, she says, when you give away this data, you're giving a company the ability to access and manage you, not the other way around. Now, Amazon says this gear does have safeguards built in, like the drone can only record video when it's out and flying around. And I guess it's only got like a five-minute flight time or something. But it's a very interesting article if you are into privacy or biometric stuff. So I'll have the link to the whole article on Wired for those who do want to take the deeper dive. But also in Amazon News, they're having some fun with augmented reality, including an AR app of its own that works with the QR codes that are printed on the sides of its delivery boxes. So you basically have to install this Amazon augmented reality app for uh, Google or iOS. And then you... Uh, Open the app, point at your phone at the QR code, and you can see things like animated corgis jumping around or jack-o'-lanterns on the side of the box. Um, I did not try it because I didn't care, but that's, that's out there. Yeah. W- why? Yeah. What is it recording? <laughs> what, what, me, what piece exactly. of information about you exactly. is it collecting? Exactly. I don't really think, oh, God. I hate to be so cynical about everything, but come on. They make it so easy to be cynical. Yeah, you know, these are the times we live in. Oh. So, uh, well, we have some legal news here. Oh, that should be fun. Yeah, you know, the Democrats and the Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee uh, recently released, I believe it was a 449-page report, maybe 450, I don't know if it's a cover page or not. But this was after a 16-month investigation into big tech, which they're defining as Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. And so they, they spent all these months and, and these research time and decided that the companies were essentially monopolies. So, really? But I think the, as with everything, the Democrats and the Republicans on the committee had different ideas about what to do with it. But I think they were in general alignment. Yes, there is monopoly activity. They're using their power to quash competition. That's but nothing, shocking. yes, clutch the pearls. Uh, but nothing is uh, going to happen right away because, I guess, because in the legislative world, the report's next stop is a subcommittee markup. 
or a vote to adopt the final report is expected to take place uh, before they actually get around to any legislative proposals that would inhibit or regulate uh, the companies. But I will post a link to the entire report, though, for those who do like to read uh, government documentation uh, besides me. Hey, I was going to say, besides you. Yeah. So uh, and the Times actually did a the nice interactive breakdown of, of uh you know, here's the report, and then they sort of analyze, you know, what they basically mean. But because there is so much going on in the world right now, I think it was a little blip. It's like, oh, you know, the, look at all these monopolies, and then let's move on to the next fire that we got to put out. The European Union, which I guess uh, Britain will be part of for another six to eight weeks, they're also spinning up a hit list of tougher rules for about 20 major tech companies. And uh, odds are those are likely to include the big tech four over here. Now, if the EU laws go through, the tech companies will have to comply with tougher regulations that smaller tech firms would face. So it's kind of like a sliding scale. This is how I read it. Like if you are a a big giant conglomerate and you have all this power, you're going to have tougher regulations and sort of a tiny startup that, that doesn't really have a big base yet. So the startups get a slide? Yeah, well, the startups get get a little more leeway uh, from the regulators until they get big, and then they get the the, the big boy rules. Um, but the <laughs> the big companies uh, will be required to share data uh, with rivals and be more transparent about how they gather information. So yeah, okay. So we'll we'll see if this this happens. But yeah, the European Union is like, hey, we got some rules too, except no, they say it with yeah. a better accent. Yes, they do. Yes, they yes. Do. And uh, you know, I'm being I hate being so cynical, but. Sorry, I don't buy a word of this. You know, show me the receipts or... Yeah, show me the receipts. Or just keep walking. TikTok is still entangled with the U.S. government. I have lost track of where they're at. Oh, yeah. Uh, But while this is going on, while while TikTok is entangled, its competitor in the short-form video space uh, is looking to bust a move. Now, this is another... A short form video does kind of the same thing. Triller, uh, are you familiar with Triller? It's been around since 2015. I am not familiar with Triller. No, I am not. And it doesn't have as many users as as the talk by probably like 40 or 50 million. It was pretty noticeable, the, the difference in user base. But Triller uh, is working with investors in an attempt to go public. Kendrick Lamar and The Weeknd are among Triller's financial backers. And uh, it counts Alicia Keys, Cardi B, and Eminem among its celebrity users doing things on the platform. So I don't know if... Cardi B's on every platform, so that's yeah, not yeah, that so, you know, you know, impressive. Not really. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I don't know if, if Troller's going to, you know, come up on the outside and, and clip TikTok and, and take all of the attention if TikTok does get banned or this deal falls apart or I don't know what's going to happen with, with TikTok here. All right. Not to throw shade on any super celebrity supported platform, but I just got one word to say. Title. That's all I got to say. Title? That's all I got to say. Yeah. Remember uh-huh. Tidal was supposed oh, to come yeah, in? Oh, Jay-Z's. And, uh, mm-hmm, yeah. It was supposed to knock out Spotify and all that because it was, you know, whatever. And then they did this, this, they did this really awkward press conference with all these, like, superstars. And then Daft Punk was wearing their helmets on. It was just really bizarre. And it was so out of touch with reality. And was, wasn't it basically, kind of pricey, too? Uh, it's very pricey. But, you know, they had the high-def audio, but then – Amazon stole their lunch because they started providing it on pretty much all their music. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that was that. Yeah. And that was that. They're still around though. But I mean, this really screams like title redux. Yeah. Or they could combine and be title thriller. Title thriller. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I so, like so, that. Uh, so, so, so that's what's, you know, going on in, in short form video that's not quibby because we made fun of them last time. But Yeah, exactly. They're too easy target. 
Yes. And finally, uh, with the pandemic uh, squashing its theme park and theatrical movie businesses, Disney has announced a major reorganization and says it's shifting its primary focus to streaming entertainment. Not not much of a surprise, uh, really, because uh, we've seen the blockbuster flicks. Black Widow got its release bumped again. No word on how Mulan did yet with his $30 price tag. I think they're going to announce that in their next uh, quarterly earnings. But every movie, like what, two movies came out, Tenant and something else, and nobody went to the theater. Like they made $20 million bucks in a weekend, which is usually like popcorn money for one New York theater in, in the high times. So... So the, the theater things I have, I think AMC is even saying they, they may have to file for bankruptcy if they don't get help by the end of the year. So movie theaters are, are in a hurting place. Disney's seeing that that's not happening. They had to lay off 28,000 park employees because nobody's going to theme parks. And so they have announced that they're going to put all of their uh, major muscle behind streaming entertainment. And they also plan to uh, move the Pixar film Soul from theaters to Disney Plus, where it's now scheduled to stream in December. I don't know if they're going to charge the, the 30 bucks for that, too, or it's Pixar. Let's just watch it and, and love each other. But it's a major shift from that because at least Disney has the the content and the bandwidth and the video pipe to do this kind of thing, to shift everything to streaming. And, and you kind of saw them moving that way when they moved up the Hamilton thing to July and got so many subscribers from that. But yeah, it's just I, I feel bad for anyone who works in the entertainment industry, uh, even concession stand and movie theater, because that business is just hurting so bad. And theme parks and, and anything else, you know, concert halls, venues, all of this is just going to be, I guess, on pause for at least another six months to a year. Broadway's not coming back, to, I think, till June at the earliest of 2021. So the whole thing about Mulan, you know, if Mulan was breaking records in terms of how much they're making on this $30 deal with Disney Plus, they would have been touting it all over the place. True. And the fact that they haven't been speaks volumes to me. I don't think it did as well in the overseas markets either. Uh, they, were, they were counting on a lot of money from China that I don't think uh, materialized. And then it got backlash too because they had filmed part of it in an area where the Uyghur Muslims are getting oppressed. Exactly. Exactly right. And I think it's a smart move on their part, but they should stop playing games and just really devote all their energy. And it seems like they're doing that now and just yeah. devote all their energy to the Disney Plus right now because – it's the only way they're going to make money. Yeah, and major reorg to, to refocus the company on that. Yeah, so, so you can buy a couple of HomePod minis and put them on your Apple TV and just stream <laughs> Disney Plus and and just uh, go buck wild. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, so, so, so that that's been a quick look at the news. Not so quick, but for anyone <laughs> out there who wants to know more about the stories we chittered about here in this uh, section, you can find them all on a little show page called PopTechJam.com. Up next, uh, I believe, sir, you have a new set of headphones that you uh, would like to share some thoughts about. I do indeed. JD. Pedro. I stumbled on these headphones. The model is a K553. Mark II, when I noticed a lot of folks that I've been recording on Zoom and all that, they've been using these AKG headphones and I wasn't familiar with them. And I'm, I'm familiar with AKG. They've been studio standards for a lot of decades. But it was this model that piqued your interest. Correct. Yeah. Because it's got a very space age look. It looks incredibly uncomfortable. You know, they just have these giant ear pads. 
And I was like, well, you know, what is that that you're wearing? And I, I, I asked a couple of people, and sure enough, they were AKG 553s, Mark II. And Ooh. I don't know what the Mark One is, but you know, yeah, I just like saying well, Mark apparently it's II. outdated now. So. Yeah, basically. So I was intrigued. So I decided to buy them. They run about $200 from Amazon, which is a steep price for a set of headphones. They're closed back headphones over the ear. So the, the, the idea that they're closed back means that it doesn't bleed. You can't hear. Other people can't hear what you're listening to on the headphones. So for instance, with open back headphones, like Sennheiser 600s, 558s from Sennheiser, those open backed headphones basically have a whole grill there. And the, the, the sound you're hearing is not amplified, but it's leaking out through these things. And the idea of open back headphones is that they will allow the sound to have more space, to give you that sense of space, which is great for listening to acoustic music, for symphonic music, any type of music, really. I mean, maybe not electronic music, but you know, it does help in that sense. It gives it a more natural you know, I know that sounds weird when you're talking about electronic music, but it might give it a more natural feel. But close back headphones are specifically studio standard. You know, you you don't want to have stuff leaking from your headphones when you're singing or or playing acoustic instruments and stuff like that. Well, it goes into other people's mics too. Right? Correct. If it's like exactly. A thing. Right. Yeah. Exactly right. And the other I, the other thing is too nowadays because of uh, home studios and bedroom studios and things like that. Closed back headphones are important when you're mixing because you can't set up a pair of gigantic speakers in your bedroom. I mean, you can, but the neighbors will get you thrown out. Yeah, and your spouse. And your spouse, absolutely. People, myself included, have been mixing and editing more on closed headphones. The standard for studios and stuff like that for a long time and for field recorders has been the Sony MDR7506. And that's, I mean, everyone has seen those, you know, if you see someone out there recording a a radio gig or anything or in a, in a studio or video producers, you know, you've seen it. There are these black headphones with this very ridiculously uncomfortable headband pad on top. I find it really uncomfortable. And this was my reference. So I was going to compare this, the 553, the K553. And I found that not only was it flat, the 553, but it had an open a more spacious sound, which I found surprising for a closed back set of headphones. When you compare it to a set of open back headphones, like again, I, I, I use the Sennheiser 600. Yes, the, the 553s are open, but certainly not as open, not the, that wide sound stage that the, uh, uh, the 600s have. And the 600s, of course, are way pricier. They're like $380. Now they list price around four hundred dollars, but so they they kind of fit in the middle, in terms of having this sound stage, this 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 more musical sound to them. So I found that really intriguing too, because I've always had to switch headphones when I was doing work. I needed to have these flat, closed back headphones so I can just you know do my work, and it's got to have a flat response or as flat as possible. And then I got to go to my open back if I want to do some critical listening to music. Another pair of, of reference headphones that I used against the 553 were the, the Biodynamics DT770s, the 80 ohms version, because they have like four, ver- four versions. I don't want to get to ohms and all that stuff. I've talked about them before. But the thing about these headphones is that, again, close to studio standard, you've seen them in a lot of radio stations. They 
they have these silver like uh, velour pads and you know a lot of recording studios use them because they look fancy and they're they're big over the ears comparable to the AKG 553s it envelopes your entire ear so it gives you a nice closed seal that helps obviously not only with the sound stage but with the fact that you don't need active it's passive noise cancellation the difference between the the 770 the biodynamics which is a really good set of headphones the list price is around 200 bucks for that too, but it, it, you can get it for about 170 bucks. The thing about the biodynamics is that they tweak it. They tweak the bass. So it's not as flat as you would get with either the Sony MDR7506 or the AKG 553s. So just be aware that when you're dealing even with supposed studio headphones, you're going to get some headsets that are tweaked that they they're going to they're going to try to make a more musical by boosting the bass. So if you're going to are be, you anti-tweaking? Um no, not necessarily, not as a rule, but I'm anti-tweaking if I'm going to do studio work, if I'm going to do editing, and if I'm going to do any type of mixing, it won't sound good on all platforms. Anyway, right. so you're I pleased re- with your purchase? I'm well, yeah, exactly. I'm really pleased with my purchase and in fact, it instantly replaced my MDR 7506s. It's the only set of headphones I mix on now. Oh, wow. To the curb with the old ones. I put my 7506s now in my field kit. So now if I'm going out and recording something, that's what I'll use. I mean, I've always used them, but these feel more comfortable too, because the 7506s gave me ear fatigue and also felt more uncomfortable. And the funny thing is the 553s, these AKGs, they look more uncomfortable. They give you that sense that, wow, these things are going to hurt, but they don't. Very, very comfortable set of headphones. They retail for around $200, but you can probably get them for, you know, $199, $189 in that range. AKG 553. All right. Well, we'll have links to, to those on the show page, too, for people who might be yes. shopping. Mark uh, two, Mark yes, two, Mark two, Mark two. yes. <laughs> and uh, so, so you're happy with your headphones. I am indeed. Uh, I am indeed. We, we've tromped through the news. I guess we should wrap it up and thank I the I think bros. we should, yeah. We've been, uh, we gave them a beefy show today, didn't we? Yeah, well, it's been a while, so. Yeah, it has been a while. Thank you, bros. Builtbybros.com if you think it, they will build it. And thank you, listeners. We hope you are keeping everything together here in the pan-sanity. And as we head into the, the colder winter months, remember, get your flu shot, wear a mask. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And so, until next time, when we can get it together to record again and we're back with more, I'm J.D. Beersdorfer. And I'm Pedro Rafael Rosado. Stay safe. Stay safe.